0: Hi everybody, thanks for uh, tuning in to the RLT Podcast. Uh, My name is Patrick Torres, I'm the Artistic Director here, um, and uh, we're glad you're listening. Uh, So if you could do me a favor, if you've been listening to this podcast or after you listen to this episode, if you like what you hear, if you can go and uh, give us a good rating and subscribe on any of your podcast platforms, that'd be a huge help. Uh, So it's been a a few months since we've uh, done a podcast and I'm excited to get back to it. So today, Uh, We're going to focus on our upcoming production of Baskerville. And I wanted to introduce you uh, to the production's director, who is Jeremy Skidmore. Hi, Jeremy. Hello. (laughs) So Jeremy uh, took over Baskerville. If you uh, follow us closely, you know that I was uh, slated to direct that show. Um, But as we announced the new season, um, we really felt like it was going to be three in a row for me. And so it would be smart to... um, kind of step away for one of them and so I am still on Pippin and I'll be doing the opening show next season which is Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder and so um, Jeremy I knew was in town um, back in North Carolina we'll hear that story in a minute and um, I was really excited uh, to uh, just I reached out to him and said hey would you like to do this and he came and toured RLT and uh, read the script and he's doing it so yay it's exciting Um, so Jeremy and I actually go back a long way. I think it's 17 years now, Mm -hmm. um, which is funny. If if our friendship was a kid, it could drive a car now. (laughs) (laughs) We have a licensed relationship. Um, (laughs) So I met Jeremy in 2002 in Washington, D.C. I had just moved there to be the directing and casting fellow at the Shakespeare theater company. And Jeremy was running a theater called theater Alliance. And, I was asked to assistant direct a show with a director named Stephen Carpenter. The show was Thief River by Lee Blessing, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Jeremy was uh, the artistic director of Theater Alliance at the time, but he was also in that show, which is the last time I've seen you on stage. It was the last time I've ever been on stage. <laughs> <laughs> and so we, we uh, developed a relationship then, and um, um, it's just been good, and, and I'm really glad that he's here at RLT. But, Jeremy, tell us a little bit um, about you. I mean, North Carolina is home for you.
1: Yeah, yeah, I grew up high school uh, in Hillsborough, North Carolina, um, and then went to college at the University of North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. And then once I graduated from School of the Arts, I went overseas for a year, and then I went to Washington D.C. to work on a project, and then fourteen years flew by. <laughs> and uh, yeah. That was crazy uh <laughs> and then i moved to la for about a year and a half just to get out of dc because i'd been there for so long and just needed a change of pace i'd gotten a little complacent and too comfortable mm-hmm. um so i needed to get my butt kicked so i went to la and la provided a prime a butt kicking um <laughs> and uh and then i decided to move back to north carolina which i'd always intended to do at some point it just ended up happening earlier than i thought it would um but I'm really glad to be back and I don't expect they'll be going anywhere.
0: Oh, that's great. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing in North Carolina now.
1: <clears throat> so, I helped start a theater company called Rhino Leap Productions, which is in Ashboro, North Carolina. And we are the resident professional theater company of Ashboro and a theater called the Sunset Theater, which is owned by the city. And a huge part of what we do in addition to producing work is also pretty significant amounts of educational programming. So it's about a 50-50 mission. Um, So a lot of the work that we do most often is working in high schools in North Carolina that do not have theater programming anymore as a result of arts funding cuts. Um, So a lot of times schools have to choose whether to keep a theater program or a band program or a choral program. Uh, So a lot of high schools and especially the tier one and tier two counties don't have theater programming anymore. So we tend to target those school districts and bring in long form residencies to give high school students exposure to all the different kinds of things that theater education can help build, Uh, like communication and empathy building. Um, If you really think about high schools in general, most of the day you're sitting there being told not to talk Uh, and you're not supposed to socialize. So really, the only opportunities that high schools have for you to socialize tend to be sports and the arts. Um, So if you're going to a school that doesn't have the arts and only has sports, but you're not athletically inclined, (laughs) uh, you don't really have that socialization opportunity um, that the arts can bring to those who aren't athletic. Um, Or... For people who just love the arts and just don't have that option. Um, but a lot of the work that we do is very much catered towards people with absolutely no experience. Because um, it's not about trying to be a better actor, it's about really trying to get to know yourself and the people you're going to school with and that you're around all the time in a way that you don't get to know them in a math class.
0: Right. You know, I think it's so interesting because it's always seems to be the theater classes that get cut. Mm -hmm. Um, like you're saying you know they have band Mm -hmm. like they'll keep band around and and i think that there's so much value in like band and choral music and stuff like that you know but i think that it's so interesting like people look at music programming and they go well i i can't personally manipulate an instrument to make it sound that way so i see the skill involved in that and then it feels like with theater people don't the 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 kind of skill in it it looks like human behavior Mm -hmm. so they don't they don't recognize kind of the work that goes into it but they do recognize and i think people are starting to recognize that the soft skills of theater or i would actually call them hard skills of being able to communicate teamwork critical and creative thinking like all that stuff is becoming so valuable even in the business side Mm -hmm. of our world um, I think people are starting to recognize that. So, I mean, I'm glad that y'all are up to it if the schools don't have it because I do think it's kind of a critical piece of growing up and and just being a person in the world, really. Mm-hmm. I think theater's so good at that. Um, tell me a little bit about Rhino Leap. where did the name come from?
1: Sure. So Rhino Leap was actually started by Dr. Tom Osteen, who's a retired um, orthopedic surgeon in Asheboro, and his son, Patrick uh, who w- went to the North Carolina School of the Arts as well and graduated in 2011. So that's my connection with them, is that Patrick and I are both alums of the same school. Uh, and when they were first trying to think of a name for the first project they were doing, they were developing a new musical. Uh, they Patrick wanted it to be something ancient, doing something unexpected. Um, so rhinos, rhinoceroses, rhin- rhinocerai. Uh <laughs> became this like really interesting thing in his mind as something old uh and then he was like i've never seen a rhino jump (laughs) (laughs) so rhino leap became a thing and it's interesting because when i first heard the name i was like what (laughs) not sure i like that um but then i also remember being in dc with you when i first encountered woolly mammoth I was like, why would you name your theater Woolly Mammoth? Mm -hmm. And then after a while, it ceases to matter. It's just Woolly Mammoth. I mean, they're Woolly (laughs) Mammoth. And then the more work you do on a national basis, the more you realize that having a unique name like Woolly Mammoth... Is fantastic because there's no other theater that's going to be mistaken for right. you, you know. So in DC, when I was running a company called Theater Alliance, mm-hmm. there could not be a more generic name <laughs> than Theater Alliance. Like, right. what does that even mean? And then, of course, other th- towns have theaters called Theater Alliance, and oftentimes they have alliances of theaters that are called Theater Alliance of Greater Philadelphia, a the Theater Alliance of San Francisco. Right. Um, so in that regard. I wish I had an opportunity when I started with Theater Alliance to change the name, and we didn't. So Rhino Leap rolls along, and the the thing happened again where people, you know, Patrick and his dad and I were like, should we change the name? And I was like, I don't think so. Um, And some people still say, like, it's hard to remember, Um, but I don't think it is. I think it's just one of those things that uh, it's a unique moniker that eventually will just become the name
0: of the company. Right. No, absolutely. And I think that what's something that I like about it is that, um, in in your explanation of it, it's also aspirational. Mm -hmm. Like, how do you take this ancient thing and make it do something unexpected? You know, since theater is such an ancient art form, you know, I I think that there's, like, almost a mission inside Mm -hmm. of of the name, which is pretty cool. All right. All right. Well, let's turn towards Baskerville first for a little bit. Sure. Um, So, uh, yeah, um, I brought you into that process very late uh, because we decided for me to kind of step away from it pretty late in the game. So let's kind of talk everybody through that. So I I ask you to do it. You come and take a tour of the theater and you read the script. What are your first impressions of the play?
1: Well, the coincidence was that I had already planned on directing a play called The 39 Steps for, for Rhino Leap, um, which is an adaptation of an Alfred Hitchcock uh, film with a but the stage production is much more slapstick. It's Alfred Hitchcock meets Monty Python. Mm -hmm. So Ken Ludwig, who wrote Baskerville had gone to see 39 steps when it was on Broadway and was like, wow, that's a really cool play. I want to write one of those. So he wrote Baskerville in response to seeing 39 steps. So when I first read Baskerville, I was like, this is a lot like 39 steps. (laughs) Uh, and it freaked me out for a second because I didn't want to do two shows back to back the same way. Um, even though they're in two completely different cities. Um, But the more I dug into Baskerville, the more I realized that my way forward was going to be to understand what makes the two plays different. Mm -hmm. And in looking and identifying those um, things, I was able to then hone in on what makes Baskerville specific. Um, So for me, what I was interested in with Baskerville was honing in on the characters and the storyline a bit more whereas 39 steps i feel like while there are great characters it's much more about the execution of stagecraft mm. like what crazy way can you possibly think of to do a train chase or uh, running through a field and being tra- chased by an airplane um so that's the fun of 39 steps very well written Very funny, great source material. But Baskerville, I feel, while there are a lot of characters, it's much more focused on uh, who those characters are. There's more opportunity, I think, to get to know the characters in Baskerville. And even though it's set in so many different locations, I became interested in the idea of kind of taking theater back to its roots, which for me or for Western theater anyway, is this, you know, very open, almost bare stage, right? So if you think of the Greeks, they did it on a completely empty stage. If you think about Shakespearean, Jacobian time periods, Elizabethan, Jacobian time periods, there really wasn't much scenery. They had built theaters that facilitated any number of plays because it was so flexible in terms of how it was laid out and where the doors were and where the levels were. So we've essentially recreated a Jacobian style space layout inside the RLT theater that allows us to be inside and outside based off of a lighting cue or a projection cue or a sound cue. Uh, It allows us to turn steps into hills um, and, you know, balconies into mountains and benches into rocks um, with the imagination like it is because we say that it is and so it allowed us to create a set that kind of holds the play so it's not so much about all these crazy scenic changes and it's more about focusing on the actors the roles they're playing and appreciating and enjoying the crazy costume changes that they have to make
0: Mm -hmm. yeah i was just excited about how that works i do think that there's something really interesting about I mean, I think, you know, modern theater is is has moved towards, you know, really interesting, a lot of technology on stage, kind of stagecraft to make uh, really amazing scene changes and stuff like that happen, but it was fun to watch the run through without, I mean, there's no lights and costumes yet, mm-hmm. um, but to see how well it works when, when you're inviting the audience to meet you halfway, you know? Um, we all we you know a lot of theater artists talk about theater being a dialogue um and not wanting the audience to just feel like passive spectators and i feel like when you create a play like you're creating like you are asking for engagement right mm-hmm. you're asking like you have to come into this way of doing this uh, for the for the full enjoyment of it and i feel like that's so theatrical and really exciting um let's talk a minute about um Sherlock and Watson in this production are being played by two women mhm um mary Rowland and laura ullman um which i'm really excited about i i think they're both fantastic um so when i was still on and you know i was was fielding you know oftentimes as artistic director here at rlt um you know actors reach out just to talk about like how are we going to do a thing um sometimes it's conceptual questions sometimes it's um i know that this character is written for a 30 year old but i'm 20 would you still want to see me so you know the actors are engaged in the community which is exciting and they all often reach out to me with questions and so i had more than one uh woman in town reach out to me and say hey would you consider casting a woman as uh sherlock or watson and i said yeah i would and then i thought oh i have to actually check with the licensing agency <laughs> mm-hmm. and Ken Ludwig and his agents um, about whether or not they would allow that. And so once I'd had a, enough uh, women reach out to me and ask that, I thought, oh, we we had better get an answer now before we get into the audition process, and uh, we want to do it, and then they say no because it would be terrible to like cast somebody and then get like a cease and desist letter or something. <laughs> so um, I did. I had um, our business manager Larissa reached out. And um, they, Ken Ludwig's people, uh, wrote back and said, absolutely, you can do that. And so when I first met with you, I said, we do have permission to do this. And I don't know if you'd want to, um, uh, but you're able to. And I think at the time you were like, I don't know if I'll do that. If I did it, it might be Watson, not Sherlock. You know, you were still wrestling with it, too. Uh, but talk about the decision to cast Mary and Laurel, where, how that happened.
1: Well, first, they they're great. They were great in the audition, both of them, uh, in very different ways. But I also think that because the play asks. So there's five actors, three of the five actors, the non Watson Sherlock roles, the other three, play so many different characters and they gender bend. They're playing men, they're playing women. Uh, I think between the three of them, they play 40 something different people. Um, so I thought what ultimately would be kind of fun is since watson and sherlock never change characters they're only ever themselves that it became interesting to cast two women who are playing men so that the theatricality continues all the way through all five roles and it's not just relegated to the three quote-unquote ensemble members um and i think it it was a it was a fun choice um the play is written for four men and one woman so our production has three women and two men and I also like that balance more Um, it was interesting to look at when we were thinking about casting and changing genders of different roles uh, it was interesting looking at okay well this role is written to be a man playing a woman so if it's a woman playing a woman it's actually not funny Mm. because they're not there's no gender bending, right? Mm-hmm. So this role is written to be a woman playing a man, but if a man's playing that man, then it's not funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was also part of the, of the equation as well, is that um, Ken Ludwig was very specific about, okay, this time I want a woman playing a woman, but in this scene I want a man playing a woman, and in this scene I want a woman playing a man, and in this scene I want a man playing a man. And that balance is important, because it's actually where a lot
0: of the humor comes from. Mm-hmm. And so... In this play the, so it's it's women playing Holmes and Watson who are men and but they're not playing Holmes and Watson as women correct right yeah. and so why, why that choice um, <clears throat> I think if, again it allowed for that theatricality
1: to continue mm-hmm. um, because if there were if we changed Watson or Holmes to a woman which we had permission to do um, then it would just be a reinterpretation of of Watson and Holmes as women. And I don't think we would have lost anything, but I also don't think we would have gained anything. Mm-hmm. I think it just would have been different. Mm-hmm. But I think having the, the style of the piece be these two women walk out on stage who then take on the role of these two men, again, includes them in the same um, theatrical Diversity of the other three characters. Like, the other three characters get to have all the fun. We're going to have some fun, too. Mm -hmm. Um, So everybody is now doing something outside of who they necessarily are as everyday people
0: walking through the world. Mm -hmm. That's great, and it really works. I mean, it really works. I mean, I think you've got a fantastic cast. All five of them are incredible, and they're working very, very hard. And and, uh, Mary and uh, Laurel, taking on those roles of um i mean they're iconic Mm -hmm. they're iconic and so seeing their interpretation of that's really great and so you know i'm glad that um i guess i'm saying i so i'm i'm so supportive of the decision to have them play it as men still because it it um it really does say something about the play and also the universality of those characters Mm -hmm. they've become something so big um kind of in the in the world and the kind of world of literature that it's cool just to see um those characters on different skin you know mm-hmm. and and um we're seeing a lot of actually modern interpretation of the home stories with women in those lead roles so that's really exciting um, talk to us a little bit about um you know what what uh what you're excited about in sharing the show with an audience i mean
1: always whenever you're working on a comedy Uh, And for those who haven't done theater before, comedies are always harder than dramas because all the same work goes into a drama and a comedy. But then on top of that with comedy, there's incredible precision and timing that has to be true in a way that dramas have a lot more flexibility um, in terms of pacing. But comedy is comedy, and a lot of the rules are pretty concrete. Um, (laughs) Yeah, So Anytime you're doing a comedy, especially one like this, which very much leans towards farce, having an audience in general is a huge deal because you get to learn what timing is working and what timing is not working uh, and what's funny and what's not funny. Um, And there are definitely things that I think will be funny that the actors don't think are going to be funny, and I think that the actors think there's things funny that the audience isn't going to think is funny. (laughs) Um, So it's it's working out that balance. Um, But then also with this production specifically... We're doing, while the unit set is pretty realistic, straightforward, very neutral, there are curtains that are in the center of the set on the first floor and on the second floor. Uh, And those curtains are actually projection surfaces. So we're actually incorporating a lot of paintings, like actual paintings from the period and some not from the period that help us also place uh, the play in different locations. And I ended up going in a much more abstract direction than I thought I was going to go in, in terms of what paintings we picked to represent rocks or represent a train station or represent a windy day. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm really interested to see how the audience responds to the artwork that's been chosen to help set us in these locations because they're much more visceral, emotional than they are literal. Mm. I, I could have done, like this is a church. This is a steeple. <laughs> right. Um, but we didn't go in that direction. It's a lot more, you know, colors. Rothko has, like, two or three pieces in there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, or we honed in on, like, a specific section of a painting because the cloud was perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so I'm really interested in what that audience feedback is like and how that how the two things interface with each other, the, the hard raw tangible set
0: and the more ethereal projections that are much more psychological emotional mm-hmm. that's great yeah i'm really ex- i'm excited to see all that too as we get into tech um and and uh, the run of the show and i think for uh, those of you who uh, have volunteered at rlt before or current volunteers i think that Uh, You'll be excited to come see this show and just see how hard the volunteers have to work, Um, particularly the the, uh, costuming crew Mm -hmm. who has to execute some (laughs) lightning-fast costume Mm -hmm. changes um, in order for the story to to keep moving forward. So that'll be really fun to see. And and the work that the designers have put into it, um, just walking down to the costume shop and upstairs and looking at the set, um, is just really exciting. The volunteers are really working hard to help fulfill your vision and the vision of the show. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, when it
1: comes to costume changes, kind of the joke in the industry, in the theater industry, is that if you have more than a minute, it's not a fast change. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like you go off, you've got to take off all your clothes, put all the other clothes. If you have two minutes, that's luxurious. <laughs> um, it's got to be under sixty seconds for it to be considered fast. And the show has probably twenty or thirty costume changes that are under under sixty seconds. So. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. Those yeah. volunteers will be tired. Yes. Now, but yeah, but it'll be good. Yeah. Awesome. Um, well, thanks for talking to me. I really appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you taking the time. What's next for you? What do you, wanna, what do you want us to know about?
1: So next up for me is the 39 Steps, uh, which we're actually going to be doing a little baby tour. Um, so it'll open in Asheboro, which is again where Rhino Leap Productions is based. But then we'll bring it to, there's a new performing arts space in Fuquay Verena called the Fuquay Verena Performing Arts Center. Mm-hmm. So we're going to be taking the show there at the end of May. And then in the middle of June, we will be in Burlington at the Paramount Theater in Burlington. Um, so for those of you in Raleigh, if you want to come see 39 Steps, come to Fuquay Verena. It's the uh, week leading up to Memorial Day that we'll be in Fuquay Verena. So.
0: Well, that's fantastic. Well, well, thanks so much, Jeremy. And I, I can't tell you how fun it is to have you around, um, you know, being old friends. Um, it's really good to have you here. It's good to have you back in the state. Um, and then I just feel really blessed that you're at RLT. And come see our show. Uh, it's Baskerville, and um, we're really excited about it. So get your tickets quick. So the show runs from April 12th through April 28th and uh, we look forward to seeing you there. Um, But there's a lot of other things happening at RLT coming up as we close out our season and I just wanted to take a second to remind you about all those events. On April 27th we have Art in the Garden uh, where you can come grab some great art by uh, some wonderful local artists Uh, so don't miss that. We also have Divas, our annual fundraiser that's coming up on May 4th. Tickets left for that are very limited so if you haven't grabbed those tickets please do so now. And then the final two shows of our season our west side story and concert which is our partnership with raleigh symphony orchestra which will be out in the amphitheater and uh we're going to close the season in late may with uh steven schwartz's pippin which i'm directing and i'm super excited about so there's a lot of really great events coming up here at raleigh little theater and we hope you'll join us for all of them once again if you could please subscribe to our podcast and give us a good rating uh that'd just be really helpful for us and we appreciate you listening and we'll see you at the theater